Hey, this is John, and you're listening to the Mosaic Young Adult Podcast. To learn more about Mosaic Young Adults, visit us online at thisismosaic.org forward slash young adults. We hope this podcast is simply part of a greater conversation you have with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, we're going to take a slight break from our journey through the Gospel of John. If you've been with us for a while, you know we've been going through uh, the Gospel of John together. And instead, we're going to shift our focus a little bit for a special weekend at Mosaic, which is called Justice and Mercy Weekend. And it's one that we do together as a, a conglomerate of people, of, of a family of God here on Thursday and also on Sunday. So if you are new to the community or if you're considering Sunday, this is, you won't exactly experience the same thing. There'll be something else on Sunday, but that is the objective and that is the focus for this weekend at Mosaic. And I love that our young adult ministry can take the time to ask how we, as young adults, can be involved with local missions. But more than that, what I'm really excited about is that we get to ask the Holy Spirit, how can we partner with you, God, in bringing your goodness to a dark and broken world? Because that's really the question at hand here. And it's not a theoretical question. Right? Like we think about that, like God's out there and we're down here and there's this like thing that he does and I do. No, like, like this mission that we have been in charge with is a tangible one because God doesn't operate as though he's distant in the clouds. But Jesus has displayed that God desires to meet directly with his creation no matter how messy things are. God is not a God who abandons. God is a God who likes to get his hands messy because he's a God who loves. And so with that in mind, uh, I'm going to invite you all to stand up as we read God's word together. If you need a moment or you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles in the back right there. But if not, you can pull out your phones or what you are. We'll be in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. And it's okay if you don't have your Bible right now. I'll just read it for you. Just listen intently. <clears throat> This is what it says. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. This is the word of the Lord. Take your seats. So, <clears throat> As we consider for the rest of the evening this passage, I'm just going to ask you one question, okay? Just one question. If the local church, if Mosaic or whatever local church that you may know in the area were to disappear, would the community notice? Like, would the people of Winter Garden and Claremont and Ocoee be saddened by the lack of our presence in this community? Would our workplaces and schools be filled with patience and mercy because we walk in those spaces? 
Do our local businesses express joy when we come through their doors because they'll know that they'll be met with fairness and generosity? Do families, maybe in lower income areas, know that this expression of God's church will meet them exactly where they are, not in judgment and pity, but with understanding and compassion? Would they even know we were ever here? See, many people often argue that the church today has lost the ability to be a witness to our good and beautiful God. And, and honestly, I just don't think that has to be true. And maybe it is, but I, I hope it's not true of this place because God's people, his bride, this community is meant to be a beautiful reflection of him. You see, as I was prepping for this message, I, I couldn't help but remember uh, things that I have learned about the early church, the first century church. Because no matter what historian you read, secular or not, they can all agree that this church, this early church of Christ, was the only place that pursued people both in their community and equally cared for the people outside of their community, whether or not they were Christians. It was so different from the world around it. There was these five unique features of the early church, and I, and I love it, and I hope that is true of our church. But the early church was multi-ethnic, it was, a, it was a church that was known for, by being a community of forgiveness and reconciliation. It was known for its hospitality towards the poor and the suffering. And it was committed to the sanctity of life from birth and onward. It was diligent about upholding the worth of men and women alike. If anything, the early church was one thing. It was radically countercultural. And it'd be easy to hear these things and to read these books and then rag on our modern church and be like, that is not what I see here. But instead, I would urge you to ask this question. What fed the early church? What fed them that resulted in all these things. These things didn't exist in and of themselves. There was something that was given to the early church that resulted in a community of believers that valued ethnic unity, it, that valued reconciliation, that served the poor and suffering, that upheld human life at all stages and cared for the status of woman. And this answer is this. It was love. You see, our passage tonight will focus deeply on the idea and movement of love. In fact, in these five verses alone, the word love is used 14 times. So I would imagine it's rather important to the text. The thing is, over the centuries, love has had many faces and it's had many names. I mean, there've been countless words and minutes dedicated to the very topic and the idea of love. How many movies and how many books and how many songs are dedicated to this idea of love, right? Love lost or love gained or love desired. And yet it's, it's, it's for, for something that's been talked about for so many years, for centuries, our world has no real concept of it. Because usually then love is directed and funneled through the lens of who? of me, love of power, love of money, love of fame, love of respect, love of what I want at the cost of everybody else. And even if we say we love others, it's usually guided by how it makes us feel, right? I love loving people because they will love me. I love loving people because it'll make me seem like a good person. I love loving people because it makes me feel good. Even when we're trying to be generous, somehow it still turns into us. 
But the love that fueled the early church was different. It, it was a love that literally reshaped the entire world. What kind of love is this? Let's turn back to our text. Verse seven it says, beloved. Okay, let's stop there. <laughs> we'll get to the rest, but it, this is important because this word is so tender. It's uncommon. I mean, how many, has anyone ever called you beloved? I'm married. I'll tell you right now, I've never said, hey, Rachel, you're my beloved. At best, it's like, you're my boo thing. Like that's, and that doesn't carry like the same weight. Like beloved sounds so much nicer and more respectful. But the word is so tender and caring. You see, the word beloved is, it, 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 the definition is, it's a person who's dearly loved and cherished, sometimes preferred above all others. What a word. And this is how the author of this letter felt about the church he was writing to. And it's a wonder, actually, that the author of this book uses this word because if you know who the author is and you kind of know his life journey, you'd think this is rather uncharacteristic of him. See, the author of this letter is the Apostle John. And he was one of the 12 apostles of Jesus, one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, as well as part of uh, his inner circle that consisted of John, James, and Peter. Now, John and James were brothers, and they were a rather rebunctious duo. They were called the Sons of Thunder. I don't think Sons of Thunder and Beloved match, you know? It's like, hey, you punk. Like, that's what I would imagine he would start this way. But, but they were wild, and at times they were just downright clowning around, you know? And they would act rashly and recklessly and aggressively. There's this, there's this one scene, and it makes me chuckle all the time. It's found in the, in the Gospel of Luke chapter 9. And the disciples in Jesus are going to go to, uh, they're, they're designed to go to Jerusalem, and they're going to go through the Samaritan village, and they're trying to make their way through, and the people in the Samaritan village reject them. And John and James were like, nah, I'm not about this. And they go to Jesus Get this. And they tell Jesus, they're like, listen, let us call fire from heaven and watch them burn. I'm not making this stuff up. Just look it up. Luke chapter nine. They go and they're like, let's watch these babies burn. Like, I don't even care. Like, this, they'll never disrespect us again because they're dead. Like, what is going on? <laughs> I would imagine that's kind of what they were hoping. Like, fire would come, you know? And, 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 it, and it's not only that, there's this another scene that makes me laugh. Like the sons of thunder, right? You would think they would never have to ask their mom for something. But John asked his mom to go to Jesus on his behalf and be like, mom, you think you can ask Jesus if like, like I could be his right, like I could be his right hand man in the new kingdom? Like you're talking about the sons of thunder asking their mom to ask Jesus. Like if you're the son of thunder, you're trying to go like, Yo, Jesus, this is what I want. But he asked his mom. And Jesus was like, no, that's not happening. Like, that's not going to happen. But my question and what I'm curious about is this, this man, John, what, what would turn this man who's known as son of thunder to be a son of love? A man who, who would rather watch people burn to then turn and call these people Beloved. Something must have happened and something he must have encountered that changed his heart. I wonder what that is. Let's continue. Verse seven, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Verse eight, anyone who does not love does not, I mean, 
Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So John kind of changes the, 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 the scenario here. He, he begins to urge the people to love one another. It's like, why? Because John is starting to make the argument that if we know God and we say we love God, then we ought to love one another. And I'm not, when I read this, I'm not really like that worried about it, but, but I find, what I find challenging about this passage is that what John's about to start doing is he's starting to paint a picture of love that honestly, to me, and maybe to you, is rather otherworldly. It's nothing natural. You see, the, the verb form here, the, the word love, to love, is in a, in a verb form. I'm an English major, so I, I enjoy things like this. But the verb form is love, that is present, active, subjunctive, first person, plural. Cool? We're good? I don't know what that means either. Like, I, I didn't know what it meant, so I looked it up. <clears throat> and when you look up the Greek grammar rules, when it's written like this, this is the kind of love that it describes. It is love that is meant to be an action that is present and ongoing and it encompasses everyone. So who's supposed to love one another? Everyone who's a disciple of Jesus. That is your prerogative. You say you love Jesus and you follow him, you love others. And how are we supposed to love? It's a love that is carried out by our very hands and is ongoing and never ending. Have you ever experienced that kind of love? I know I haven't. What kind of love is this? This is love from God. Because here John then says, God is love. So when God displays his love, right? When God says he loves something, he says he loves us here. It is a love that is present in this moment and ongoing. It's not theoretical, but tangible. It is something he does with his very being. And as John says that God is love, God is not, I mean, John is not just describing what kind of love God displays, but he's saying that this kind of love that I'm expressing to you is God's nature. He does not know any other kind of way to love. You and I know many kinds of way to love. We know love that's conditional. We know ones that are transactional. We know ones that um, I can give you a little bit and you give me a little bit, or I can give you a little hoping you can give me a lot. But the only kind of love that God knows is one thing, it is never ending. And this concept is found everywhere in the Bible. It's not just this New Testament concept. We, we read our Bibles and we think, oh yeah, the New, New Testament Jesus is real cool. Old Testament God, no, that guy's a jerk. But no, that's not. The Old Testament even testifies to this. I want you to hear some of these verses to you. Jeremiah 31.3, I, God, have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Psalm 136.26, give thanks to the God of heaven. Why? For his steadfast love endures forever. Isaiah 54.10, this one gets me every time. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall never depart from you and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Now, as you hear these things, I would imagine one of two things are happening. There's two groups of people I would imagine tonight. Some of you are excited and you're eager to continue this message because you're like, I've, I've seen glimpses of this love, maybe in my family or at church, or I've heard this kind of thing. And you know what? I'm really hoping that I'm going to be able to tonight experience and hear this kind of love in fullness. And then there's some of you 
were absolutely ready to tune me out because you've experienced horrible displays of abuse, rejection, and condemnation all under the name of love. Or you were shown all these things by people who were meant to teach you what love is. And I urge you both, both categories, just give me a few minutes to consider what the rest of this passage has to offer because God here in a moment is about to reveal the lengths he'll go to display his love and who that love is directed towards. Let's read verses nine and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest or made clear among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. See, according to this passage, according to these verses, God, love, again, is something that is active, present, ongoing, and it moves the person into action. Cool, good summary. But then John just explains here the perfect picture of this kind of love. He says, if you want to know what it is, if you want to see the perfect image of what this love is, look at this. God, the Father, sent Jesus, the God-man, into the world so that followers of Christ may have life through Jesus. What we see here, though, is that the love that God displays, yes, it's all those other things that I explained, present and ongoing, but it's also sacrificial. And you might say, well, you know what? I don't really need Jesus or God or to be a Christian to be sacrificial. I'm a good person. I can easily give of my time and resources. I can go to soup kitchens. I can volunteer here, there. I can do this there and I'll be fine. And you know what? I would agree with you. But John continues to clarify the parameters for love even more. Not only is it sacrificial and present and ongoing and moves people into action, but it's more. Back to verse 10. In this is love. This, this is love. So he says, yes, God sent Jesus, but he wants to again hone in even more. He goes, this is the, the 30,000 feet. Now I want you to bring this down here. God, this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. So God loved us even when we did not know he did. God loved us even when we don't want him to love us. Romans 8, 5, 8, the words of Paul makes it even clearer. But God shows his love for you and for me that while we were still enemies, enemies, not friends, not acquaintances, enemies, Christ still died for you. And then if that's not enough, the language that John is using here raises this bar of love of present and ongoing and moving to action. He says this, God the Father sent his who? His only son to pay the debt. That's what propitiation means, to pay a debt that you owe, that we owed for our sins and disobedience. Just think about this for a moment. Think about your most treasured relationship. Just take 10 seconds. The person you love the most, that you would never want this life to go on without them. Just think about who that is. Think about it. Would you be willing to let that person die for your enemies? I barely let people turn into my lane when I'm driving and I don't even know them. And you expect me to give up the person that I love the most so that my enemy can walk away free. That's impossible. 
And what blows my mind more than anything is that you would imagine that even if this is true, Jesus would have been a little ticked. He's like, you don't even know I love you. And I'm supposed to die for you? Father, really? Shoot, I gotta go to the cross. Like, like that's not what happened. He didn't say that. And that was not his position. He went to the cross with joy. Did you know that? Did you know that Jesus went to the cross with joy? This is what Hebrews 12, 2 says. Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He didn't go reluctantly. He went happily. This is love. All that we've just talked about, this description I've given you, all of this is love. And who is it directed towards? Yes, Lee. It is to you and to me. Even when we did not want him to. And it's literally directed at you right now as you sit here. Because his love for you exists and it is for you today. His love for you exists and is ongoing forever. His love for you compelled Jesus towards the cross and to joyfully pay the debt that we owed. And he is moved by compassion for you even now as you sit here. As some of you know the things that you've just watched and the things that you've just said before you even came here. You know who you are. And I don't say it in condemnation. I'm just saying the Lord is speaking to you because his love is sacrificial. He describes the absolute best for you and it's him because only in him do we, do we ever find a love like this because no other person, thing, or place can give this kind of love to you in the same capacity forever, never. And we look at our lives. We look at our lives, right, and we think there's no way this is true. There seems to be this disconnect, right? Like if God's love was this great and if it was this true and it was this magnified, why does my life suck? And this week, more than, than I can ever remember in times of ministry, I, I've just heard story after story this week of brokenness in ways that I cannot explain to you that I honestly will hope that none of you have to carry. Stories that I have to give to the Lord because I can't carry. Stories of betrayal and stories of abandonment, stories of confusion and anger. And there's just one particular meeting that comes to mind. And I've asked this person if I can share this portion of the story and they said, yes. So just know we meet, I'm not putting you on blast when I preach. I asked this person. And he explained to me how his parents abandoned him Yes, they lived in the home, but it was like they were never there. And it led him to a lot of loneliness and trying to find solace and pornography and success. But right after our meeting, right before our meeting, he told me, because uh, he, he was a little bit late, but he told me it's because he had fell, fallen asleep and he had taken a nap and he had this dream and his dream was so vivid and real to him that even in the dream, this, 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 this like, it like started to make him in his dream remember things in his past 
from his childhood. And as the dream progresses, the, the, the moments, the events become more and more intense and painful, right to the point where at the end of this dream, as he's about to wake up, he screams out, Mom, where are you? Dad, where were you? Where were all of you when I needed you the most? And he says this to me as he's trying to hold in his own tears and, I, and I'm trying to like hold my tears because it kind of connects with my own story. And I'm afraid that if I cry, he's gonna have to start consoling me. And I'm like, I'm sorry, like, that's not what we met. I mean, this is your story. Like, I'm sorry. And this story might connect with some of you as well. Because maybe you have pain and trauma from your family brokenness and you learned a version of love that was ma manipulative and never consistent. Maybe you grew up poor and went many nights hungry and alone because your parents had to go work late and you were the, only, you were the oldest child and you had to be home and take care of your kids, take care of your brothers and sisters, and you were convinced that if love was real, you wouldn't have to experience this. And maybe some of you have been sexually abused and were convinced you weren't worth loving anymore because you're just dirty. And as I pondered this man's journey, I had to ask myself, even as I left in my car, I was like, how is this guy okay? How has he come as far as he has? How has he forgiven his parents? How does he actually live with them and happily serve them and care for them? How has he ex managed to experience wholeness after a life of abandonment and then take this wholeness and extend it to others? How does he do it? And it's because of love. And it's not an ordinary love. It's not a human love. Because as we read in this passage, maybe you noticed, and if not, you'll see here, this love is not from this world. A love that never ends. A love that knows no bounds. A love that sacrifices joyfully. A love that is not pointed at themselves, but completely towards others. A love that knows no variation. It is 100% love, 100% the same, 100% of the time. What kind of love is this? And there's, a, there's, a, there's even a more of a reason why this love is so different than any other love you'll find in this world. Just go back to me really quickly to, to verse 9. The love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that why? We might live through him. What do you think that phrase, might live through him, means? See, what John is saying here is that God's love is made clear in Jesus as Jesus came so that we would live a life beyond anything that we could see around us. It's not just an idea that you went from death to life, but that we would live a life. So you came from death to life and that you would live this life not in a natural way, but in a supernatural way because that's the end goal of God's love. That when his love is directed towards us and takes hold of us, we are invited to live in a life beyond anything that we can imagine because ultimately it's a love that transforms all that we are. John, the son of thunder, wanted to burn the Samaritans down because they rejected him. But yet as he dove deeper and deeper into God's unending love, he became a son of love. See, John actually would become a, a, a pastor that put his very life on the line for those who sought to kill him. He preached to the very people 
that would eventually kill his brother and his best friends, and he calls them beloved. This is the love that made the early church so striking. Remember that question I asked at the beginning, what fed the church that would make the the early church the way it was? It was the very love of God. Because people joined and stayed in the church even though they knew they would be crucified, hung, flayed, and thrown to the lions. But it wasn't because the church cared for orphans and widows. It wasn't because they were impressed with community and, and that, that held forgiveness and reconciliation. Those things are amazing. I, I, I don't deny it. I mean, it's Justice and Mercy Weekend, something we believe in. Those things are amazing and will definitely draw attention to the church of Christ. But they stayed not because of the programs. They didn't stay because of the amazing community. They stayed because they had a direct encounter with a love that was endless, unwavering, healing, and supernatural, a love that sought them out even when they ran from it, a love that said no one is too far God, a love that makes sinners into saints, a love that makes orphans into adopted children, a love that makes the broken into whole, a love that makes the dirty into pure and unblemished, a love that is forever held and expressed by Jesus towards you and to me. What greater love is this? And this is the greatest love we can extend to one another and to the rest of humanity. That's why it ends like this. John says this, verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, if this is true, if this is the kind of love that has been extended, what do we do? We also ought to love one another. And this is not a suggestion. There's not a consideration. The word here is ought, but even in Greek, it's even heavier. It is you are obligated. You have no choice. Why would he say that? It's because verse 12, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. It's because God literally abides in our love for one another. And as God abides in us through our love, the world sees God. Have you thought about that? I, I, I'll be honest, I didn't. Not until I read through this passage. I love loving you guys. I do. I love that we love each other. But now when I'm here, I'm blown away. Because not only do I get to love you and you get to love me, but as the love that we have for each other intensifies, it's the more that we'll see God. Isn't that why we're here? It is. That's why we come to see him. Because it's his love that transforms. It's his love that frees. It's his love that says you've been set free. It's his love that says no matter what the world has said of you, I have come to save you. It's this love that when I go to bed at night, I can happily wake up in the morning knowing that everything will be okay even if this world goes to hell because he loves me endlessly. This is the love that he gives And we then become introduction of this love to one another and to the world. And this might seem unfair to some of you because, or even to me, because you and I both know, (sighs) I can't love people this way. Right? I can't. 
But that's the thing. We're reading the text wrong if that's what we come away with this. This love that we've been expressed to us and has been shown to us is not to, to compel us or to like convict us that we must do this as hard as we can. Otherwise, God won't be happy with us. That's not what it's saying. We extend love to one another because God has deposited his supernatural love into us. Then we lavish it on one another. And as this happens, the heart of God is seen everywhere that we go. See, God's love compels us to move into places where God's love has yet been expressed because we want those people We want those people to experience the same freedom and joy that we experience. You see, I could have preached the message genuinely. I could have preached the message for Justice and Mercy Weekend and be like, let's go, y'all. Come on. Y'all got a lot of free time. Stop being on TikTok and Tinder and let's go save some orphans. I could have done that. And that would have worked for about a week. Because as soon as you can't really put on your Instagram to make, you know, hashtag I'm blessed, blessing others blessed to be a blessing. (laughs) When it's not cool, it's not easy. And then I just stop. And I did it for a little bit. If I did that, I would have sent you to war in dark places with you relying on your own strength and your own version of love. But as followers of Jesus, you've been equipped with something far greater You might believe tonight that you're not equipped and that you're not qualified to enter in these spaces where evil truly abounds. But let me remind you of what you've been given. You see, before the early church started, Jesus began with how many disciples? Twelve. Did you know the age of the apostles all were between 13 and 30? 13 and 30. Meaning the average age was like 22, 23. That was the people that Jesus used not just to start the church, but to completely change the the surface of our earth. Think about that. Jesus took 12 guys, idiots really, like John and James who wanted to burn the people that were supposed to save, and Jesus deposited himself into them and they changed the world. You, me, we carry a part of of the heart of God that this world needs to see. You carry God's love. Christ changed the world with 12 young adults. What could God do with this room right now? Let's pray. God, I don't know what you're about to do but I'm excited because anything that you've put your hands to, it is successful. And I'm so glad that you put your hands towards those who have been afflicted by the pain and suffering of this world. But God, I'm also excited because I know, Lord, that there's heaviness and there's sin and there's brokenness in this room that people in this room need to be set free. And you have come to do it. Not because you have to, but because you want to, because you love them. Just reminded of the Old Testament prophets, you've come to set the captives free. You didn't do it reluctantly, you did it joyfully. So God, stir our hearts to see how we can join your mission 
May this community be a community of love. And wherever we go, may, may, may you abide in us, abide in us through our love, and may we show the world that there is something far greater than the darkness. Sin is great, but your love is greater. The darkness has consumed, but your, but your light has come. It's here now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks again for spending some time with us on the Mosaic Young Adults podcast. Our hope for you is that Jesus will use the message you just received and direct your heart completely towards him. If you want to hear more messages like this one, please feel free to check out past episodes and subscribe so you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes.